Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I'm really glad you're here. If we haven't met before, my name is Joe. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and I also get the wonderful privilege of pastoring our student ministries, and I'm really excited for what God has for us this morning. But before I begin, I want to do something. Uh, Aaron here, who's one of the leaders of our deaf ministry, taught me this, and I'm going to teach it to you. In behalf of all the fathers here today, uh, happy Father's Day. So, amen. Thank you. Uh, there we go. We did it. Hey, I, uh, I do want to just uh, thank all the fathers in here. I just want to let you know we see you. Thanks for all the men, uncles, as Chandra put it so eloquently, all the, the, the men who stepped up and showed up in people's lives, and their kids, their nephews, their nieces, their friends. Thank you. Uh, I know our love sometimes is imperfect, but an imperfect love from a, from a sincere heart and presence points us to the perfect love. So thank you for showing up. I hope you feel honored today. We're, we're really grateful for you, and we thank God for you all the time. I'm really excited to continue in our series, Oaks from Ashes. Danny launched this series a couple weeks ago, and this, this, the title of this series came from this promise, prediction, and prophecy in Isaiah where God promises this future king is going to come. And he's called the anointed one, where that Hebrew word is where we get the word Messiah from. And this, this promise is given 750 years before Jesus is born. And to put that into some context, the United States hasn't been a country for 300 years. So it's just a shocking amount of time. And in that promise and prediction, it says that when that king comes, he will change the community of his followers so much that he will begin exchanging things in their hearts and in their lives. He'll begin exchanging their ashes, which was a sign of their grief. He'll, be, he'll exchange it for a headdress or a crown. And eventually, the end of the promise, it says that God will establish them as oaks of righteousness. And so this whole series was how do we become those oaks of righteousness and live up to that promise that was promised so long ago. And last week, uh, Danny taught on this capstone verse. This is going to be our, our key verse, our compass for the whole series. But it's Jesus's invitation. If he is that messianic king who's come, this is the invitation he gives us. And this is the avenue by which we become those oaks of righteousness. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus gives this invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And, and in rabbinic tradition in the first century for Jewish people, a yoke was as how the rabbis would describe their teaching. And so if you attached yourself to the teaching of a certain rabbi, oftentimes it came with a list of contingent behaviors you needed to do to be a part of their teaching. And Jesus is like, if you attach yourself to my teaching and my way, your yoke will be easy and your burden light. This invitation is so foundational to the way of Jesus and to the movement he was starting 2,000 years ago that we decided that this was going to be the foundation in order for us to become those oaks of righteousness. And the word Danny used to describe it was the word abiding. We want to be people who abide, remain in Jesus, remain with him in union. And the thing about it is, is how do we do that? 
That was the, the, the big question. How? How do you come to him? How do you remain in him? How do you abide? How do you live out this way of Jesus? And we decided we were going to do this whole series on the spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines that trace their origins back to the beginning of the church 2,000 years ago. And these practices, the, these disciplines, are our way of abiding. And so every week, we, we're seeking to, to identify and model and maybe even explain a few of these disciplines in the hopes that we all become people who learn to abide a bit more. Now, last week, Danny talked about meditation and how we detach from our distractions in order to reattach to the one who helps us continue in the main thing. This week, I want to talk about the next spiritual practice. But before I do, i got to give you a couple updates. It's been a while since I've been up here. Uh, one big change is I've grown this eloquent, awesome beard. Because my goal is, is to become the sage of Kesed. So <laughs> I'm hoping for a little bit of a Moses vibe. Um, no, uh, a couple quick updates. One, this is a picture of the Borellis clan. Uh, that's my wife, Rachel, who... Uh, loves me and puts up with me, and sometimes those are two of the same thing. So, uh, but my oldest daughter, Rory, is on her back. She turns three tomorrow, which is crazy, because I gave her one rule when she began talking, which was no more growing up. You're, I want you to freeze in this moment, and she disobeyed me. <laughs> and then my youngest daughter, Haven, is on my chest uh, in the carrier, and her name is Haven, and she just turned a year old in March. And one of the things I just, this is them at Easter a couple months ago, but one thing that's like kind of my eyes are opening to are the fact that they're becoming their own person. It's like, it's weird to me. Okay, I don't mean for this to be offensive. Don't take this the wrong way. But when like your baby is first born, they're kind of like an accessory. Now, an accessory that you have to change their diaper and feed them. I'm not saying that they actually are an accessory, but for a long time, they just, they never say no. So you just put them in the car seat and you carry them around and they look really cute. But then now my daughters are like becoming their own persons. They're seeing the world through their own eyes. They're understanding things. They're putting things together in their own mind. And then something hit me like a ton of bricks. I don't get to choose what I pass on to them. I pass on uh, the best parts of me and also some of the most wounded and dysfunctional parts of me. And being their parent has caused me to have to both grow my heart like the Grinch, remember how he grows his heart three sizes bigger, but it's way more painful than they make it look like in the book or in the show. I've had to confront my brokenness and my dysfunction. I've had to learn how to love and communicate with some, someone as soft-hearted as them. It's been one of the most moving parts of my life. Now, this really hit me a couple weeks ago. Now, my, my oldest daughter, Rory, she, I, she puts things together in her mind. I'm not sure exactly how. But one of the things that she's starting to pray, and she's starting to pray out loud. And it's one of the most sweet things. I hope one day everyone here gets the chance to, to see it. But she'll like sometimes pray, and we're trying to tell her, my wife particularly, is like, you can ask God for whatever you want. Like, God wants to know what your, your desires are, what your heart is, what your dreams are. And so you can ask God. And so we'll be, we were at the coast a couple weeks ago. She's looking out the window. It's 70 degrees outside, and you see the Pacific Ocean. And we just hear this little squeaky voice say, God, can I have snow, please, God? Amen. <laughs> I'm just like sitting there, and I'm like, do you know where you are right now? But that aside, I was like a proud dad. She's asking God for what she wants. 
But occasionally, I'm running into this thing where uh, she's praying with us at night, and every night we group up and we're like, let's pray, and we ask Rory, do you want, do you want mama to pray, or do you want dada to pray, or do you want Rory to pray? And she'll say, I want to pray, I want Rory to pray, like for the last couple months. And it's really cute. She, she closes her eyes and she smiles. And I kid you not, two weeks ago, she said this prayer. She closes her eyes with this big smile. And she says, thank you, God, for me. Thank you, God, for Haven. Thank you, God, for Mama. And my eyes open. And I'm like, I, I at least want to make fourth on this list. <laughs> and I'm like sitting there and I'm like, and she pauses with this big smile and her eyes closed. And as I'm sitting there and I'm like waiting and it's felt like an eternity and she smiles big and she says, and thank you for my mama's husband, Joe. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I should yell at her and be like, I'm dad at, that's dad at to you. Or if I should just be really proud that she's praying, it's like really special. And I just sat there and my wife is just with her eyes still closed, like is smirking out of, you know, like. And I don't know how she pieced that together. She just pieced eventually that I married her mom, so I'm her mom's, her mom's husband and my name is Joe. And so I'm not even frustrated that I was fourth on that list. I was frustrated that I'm, I don't even make the list as dad. <laughs> but then we ended up capturing this really special prayer. And it's moments like this that just make me realize how big of a deal this idea of fatherhood is. Take a look. Did you see? Did you, do you want God in your heart? Should we put on ABCD? We put on ABCD. So, 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 Amen. It's pretty sweet, huh? And I'm like seeing her grow into her personhood. And I'm just like realizing I'm going to pass on my wounds. And a wound I think I can potentially pass on is a wound that's so pervasive in our culture. So, so permeates our society that it's this wound that psychologists call the father wound. The father wound. And I don't even need to explain it. There are folks in this room that the moment I said father wound, you felt something visceral and innate in you. You experienced it. You know exactly what I mean. But this father wound is so real that many people are calling it an epidemic in our culture. That fatherlessness is a really big deal. And so it is with that father wound, this idea that I want to talk about our next spiritual practice, which is the practice of mourning. This practice of mourning. And this idea that I want, mourning is how we acknowledge our wounds in order to discover healing. And so I want to talk about that. But this father wound, I, I don't think I need to prove that it's real, but I'm going to for a couple minutes just to kind of explain how big of a deal and how common of a wound this is in this room. And we all share it together. I have it. 
and I'm sure some of you know someone or you have it yourself. But our youth definitely feel it. Um, a few months ago, my wife uh, taught in our youth group, and she, uh, during our gathering, she was teaching on this idea of waiting as waiting being a big component of faith, that you, when you're in waiting, you're trusting. And so we're asking our students, what are they waiting for? And they wrote it on these note cards, and, and they were anonymous, and the students turned them in. And then my wife had a little uh, like illustration where she had a leader come up, and they would paint the words on a canvas, and, and you'd see all these words that filled up the canvas, and then the student painted it into a picture, because that's what God does with our waiting, is he's able to take what seems ordinary, innate, maybe even broken, and he's able to turn it into a beautiful picture. But one of the things that stood out to me in terms of mourning was some of the things our students said they were waiting for. And to kind of explain this wound, I just want to read to you some of the things our students said they're waiting for. Here's, a, here's 10 out of the several dozen I could have chosen. The first one is the students waiting for a sign. If I were to translate this for you, I think they're waiting for someone to tell them that they're here for a reason, that they're not an accident, that they matter. The next student is, said they're waiting for normality, for life to go back to normal. But if I had to translate this again from teenager for today's purposes, I think that this student is waiting for stability, for life to not feel like chaos. The next student said, I am waiting for a father. This is some sixth through 12th grader who's literally who understands their needs enough, understands this is so foundational to their being that they are able to articulate that they're waiting for a father. That's how profound this need is. The, the next student wrote, I am waiting to feel deserving of love. This is a teenager who's like, I, I wanna know that I'm worth sticking around for. The next student wrote, I am waiting for God to heal my dad. The next student wrote, I'm waiting for something good, that I'm worthy of good things happening to me and happening for me. The next student wrote, I am waiting in numbness and I'm waiting for healing. The next student wrote, I'm waiting for confidence. And to translate this, I'm waiting for someone to show me that I have something I can be confident in. The last, or one of, second to last, I am waiting in anxiety and I'm waiting for my dad to come back. And last, and I hope you're hearing a theme, I'm waiting for my dad. This wound is a big part of our church. It's a big part of our communities, our schools. We all know someone. And what mourning does is mourning gives us the opportunity to look at that father wound and look at our wounds in general. And it's when we, we actually look at our wound that we're able to, dis, to find healing. So I have two goals for today. One is, is to honor fathers in here by talking about this big spiritual concept that God describes as this idea of fatherhood. And the second thing I wanna do is to begin the conversation of our next spiritual practice, which is this idea of mourning. Now, 30 minutes will fail me if I try to explain all that it means to mourn, lament, grieve. The Bible jumps into it a ton. 
Like we all know, many of us know the, the, the Book of Psalms, which is a collection of all these Jewish poems in which they worship. But two thirds of those poems are grieving and lamenting poems. Mourning and grieving are a big part of our walk with Jesus. It's a big deal. But I can't, de- I can't define all the mechanics and, the, and, and everything that goes into what it means to grieve and mourn through a biblical model. But we at Kesset a few years ago did a whole series on grieving and mourning, and we called it Tear Soup. And I just want to encourage everyone, if you get the chance to go back and watch that series if you're curious or if you didn't see it the first time. But it's a great tool where we, use, we learn this process, the spiritual practice of grieving and mourning. But I do want to talk about why we mourn and why we grieve. Because I think it's when we look at our wounds that we discover something important. Now, uh, Jerry Bridges has this great quote on fatherhood where he says, uh, there are five fatherly responsibilities that God has assumed toward his children. And I think it should be assumed that those five responsibilities are also something that our earthly fathers should have done as well. Uh, Number one is God provides for us makes sense, and we all want our earthly fathers to provide. Number two, God protects. And I think one of the big responsibilities is our earthly fathers to, to step in and protect us. Number three is, is uh, God encourages us, slashed is present with us, right? We all want to feel seen by our earthly dads and for them to see something special and innate in us and call it out. Number four is God comforts us. When life is hard, when things are stressful, and our earthly dads are oftentimes a big force of stability in our lives. And number five is God disciplines slash corrects us. That when we're going astray, oftentimes it's our earthly dads that help us get back on the right path. And I wanna argue really quick that those are five innate needs for us as a human being. We all have those needs. And I think our biggest sources of trauma and hurt and wounding are when one of those needs were not met for us. And so I think our goal is is to mourn those moments when those needs were not met for us in order to discover healing. And to show you what happens when these needs are not met on a societal level, I wanna give you some stats. Uh, here's a big stat for you. There are 18.4 million children in the United States without a dad, stepdad, or adopted father in the home. That's before we start getting into some dysfunctional relationships with our fathers. That's before we get into some broken or, or, or workaholic fathers. That's just complete absentee fathers, 18.4 million. That means that that's enough kids to fill up the entire city of New York twice or the second largest city in the US, LA, four times, 18.4 million. And here's another stat, if you don't have a father in the home, you are at four times greater risk of poverty. You are seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen. And you are two times more likely to drop out of school. That's pretty sobering, huh? It hits us. That's a lot to mourn. And I think we all know people. We feel it. Pope John XXIII has this quote where he says, it is easier for a father to have children than for children to have a real father. 
And John Wooden, probably the best college basketball coach in history, uh, says this, that being a role model is the most powerful form of educating. Too often, fathers neglect it because they get so caught up in making a living that they forget to make a life. Or I might change that, that they get so caught up in making a living that they forgot what they were living for. But I think if we're honest here, every single one of us feels that father wound, or we know someone we love that feels that father wound. And Pastor Chris Potter here, he leads our Columbia campus. He says that mourning is how we make sense of loss. It's how we look at the very things that have wounded us in order to make sense of it. And my main idea for today is that how we have been wounded, when we really understand it, is often how we will be healed. How we have been wounded is oftentimes how we will be healed. And what I mean by that is, is we talk a lot here at Kesset about church hurt and that we want to be a church for people that have felt wounded by their church communities. And we want to create a safe place for people to find that healing. The thing that wounded them, church, we want to become the thing that will heal them as a healthy church. Or if you were wounded by a significant other, uh, maybe they were unfaithful or dishonest or betrayed you, oftentimes it is another relationship where someone tells you and shows you that you're worth committing to and committing for, that it's so healing to you. It makes sense, right? How we have been wounded is oftentimes how we will be healed. And so I want us to look at our wounds in order to find healing. And I think Jesus does exactly that that he shows us that, that in this father wound that most of us have, God's gonna step into that place and bring healing. To tell you what I mean, um, we just first need to begin with this idea, why do we mourn? Now Jesus, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, is his most famous teaching. He starts his whole ministry in the Gospel of Matthew with this teaching. He stands up in the hills of Galilee and teaches to 5,000 people. And as he stands up there, his second sentence of his entire teaching. And this whole teaching is, is all on the kingdom of God and these values that will be a part of this movement Jesus is starting. And in those values, his very second sentence is, in Matthew chapter five, verse four, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I think we need to like first stop long enough to really understand and unpack that. People who mourn oftentimes don't feel blessed. That's oxymoronic, right? But Jesus is saying here that part of his kingdom, it's when we mourn, we will be comforted. To argue it a little bit differently, when you're really intimate in a relationship, when you mourn, it's how you show every part of you. And so Jesus is saying that our mourning is so necessary in our union with God that if we can't mourn to him, we're not actually intimate with him. We don't know him and we're not known by him. And so when we mourn, we experience that comfort. Well, how are we comforted? Jesus will continue in this entire teaching in the Sermon on the Mount where he will give all of these values. But I wanna stop on one that's really impressive because Jesus is talking about prayer and he first starts off by teaching about prayer and what you're not supposed to do. And he talks about all these religious elite of his day and how they would stand up and model their righteousness to be praised by other people. And Jesus is like, don't be like them. That's not what it's about. But I want to tell you who does notice you. And so in Matthew chapter 6, he teaches on prayer, and he says this in verse 8, do not be like them for, and this is shocking, your father knows what you need before you ask him. 
You don't need to pray long words because God knows you. And he knows you like a father. That's already in and of itself a shocking statement. But Jesus continues in verse 9. Pray like this then. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I'm sorry. uh, I think we didn't quite get that. Uh, This is way more shocking of a claim in Jesus' day for anyone to claim that they were God's child, they were claiming equality with God. They were claiming that, that God viewed them as a son. They were like God. That was a big no-no, semi-heretical. And yet Jesus is like, first and foremost, this is how you address your creator. So I'm going to read it again, and I want us to be like, like audibly like shocked here, Okay. All right, ready? Chapter 6, verse 9. Pray like this then. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That was, that was okay. I've been in senior center libraries that were a little bit more active than that. So, um, but that's okay. R.C. Sproul, a great Christian author and thinker, Uh, had said that this is one of the most shocking moments in the entire Bible. Because nowhere before this are we invited to call God Father. This is the first time. And so this was radically shocking in Jesus' day. But what is he saying here by saying that? In the beginning of this prayer, his, like this prayer is beautiful and it's mas- masterfully structured in that it's six sentences. Five of them are petitions, but the first one starts with who is God to you? And Jesus is saying God is your father. God is our father. Now, the, the question remains still, why would God re- want to represent something that's been so damaging to so many people? As a matter of fact, if you talk to someone who, whose dad was not in the picture or they were abandoned, one of the hardest things for them to reconcile is the fact that God is a father. And it oftentimes is a source of big wounding. And in Jesus' day, particularly in the Roman Empire, uh, a man and a, like, may have a child, but he has no legal responsibility for that child. And so oftentimes you would have people in the Roman household who if they didn't want their kid because maybe they were female or maybe because there's too many mouths to feed, it was not uncommon for them to just leave their kid on the, on the side of the road and go back to their house. And when you walked through Roman cities, it was not uncommon for you to just hear these random cries out there. And so that father wound was an epidemic 2,000 years ago as much as it was today and as much as it is today. And so Jesus is teaching into this world where people feel that wound and he's trying to remind them that how we have been wounded is often how we will be healed. How we've been wounded is often how we will be healed. And so one thing I just want to remind us is, is in those five petitions, remember those five responsibilities that Jerry Bridges talked about? I'll put them back up on the screen. That God provides for us, that God protects us, that God encourages or is present with us, that God comforts us and God corrects us. All five of those are seen in this prayer. God as our Father is so important to what it means to follow Jesus. And so look at in verse 10, Jesus continues, your kingdom come, so it starts our Father 
in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And a quick aside on this, because this first petition is God, bring your will here on earth. And I think we mourn the most when earth doesn't feel like heaven. When someone we love dies, when there's broken relationship, when there's suffering, when there's injustice, those are the moments that we mourn. And so we're crying out for the day that God will bring heaven here on earth. Jesus continues, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, really quick, who here memorized this prayer growing up? By show of hands. All right, who here uh, memorized the King James version of this? Uh, like, like you would know because you, tr- you, you, instead of debts, you say trespasses. Anyone here? All right. When I first, I became a believer when I was in high school, I started following Jesus, and I first read that, and I just was like, I've never like trespassed on God's property ever. <laughs> but one thing I want to notice, because again, this is about God providing for us and God correcting us and protecting us in his forgiveness. Now, two things. Have you ever noticed that God says, or Jesus says here, give us this day our daily bread? Have you ever wondered why he doesn't want us to ask for tomorrow's bread? It's very interesting because the thing about it is, is God's like, if I'm really this father to you, I want you to realize I'm going to show up day in and day out to provide for you. That every morning you wake up and you know I'll I'll meet your needs as any good father would and should. You know, the funny thing is, is I think as particularly in America and in the West, we always want independence. And the irony of the Christian life is that God never calls us into independence. He only ever calls us into more and more dependence and deeper dependence. And it's one of the things I hate the most (laughs) because I want to stand on my own. But Jesus is like, if God is really going to be that father to you, I need you to recognize he's going to show up for you daily because he's going to meet that need. And Jesus continues... So not only are we provided for and forgiven and encouraged and protected, but notice this last one in and, and verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As any good father should, we're corrected. When, we are about to lead, when we're about to be led astray, a father always puts us back on the right path. J.I. Packer wants us to know that this prayer is so important. He says this in his quote, the Lord's prayer in particular is a marvel of compression and full of meaning. It is a compendium of the gospel, a body of divinity, a rule of purpose as well as petition, and thus a key to the whole business of living. What it means to be a Christian is nowhere clearer than here. And he goes on to say, every word of the Lord's prayer reflects the Lord's vision of what our lives should be. And I would argue that it it all starts, the foundation of that prayer is that God is our Father. And that God from the beginning of time recognized a wound so pervasive in our species that he recognized that how we've been wounded is how we'll be healed. He will show up as our father. 
he will cross the cosmos. He will, he will reach across the divide if it showed you he's not ashamed to be your father, to be your dad. He wants to show up for you. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse uh, 4. He says, uh, when, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Notice here, so that we might receive our adoption as sons. Now, really quick, just remember the Roman family. Just because you biologically created a human being does not mean you have any legal responsibility for that human being in Roman society. It was only when a father was like, I adopt them, that now they're an heir and they are legally a part of my family. And Paul is saying here, yes, God created you, but he also chooses you. You are a part of his family. You have a seat at the table. You are an heir of his. And he'll go on to continue here so that we might receive adoptions as son. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Notice here, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God, meaning that all that God has, he wants for you. And notice that line there, that you have a spirit inside of you that cries, Abba, Father, and there's something really brilliant about what Paul's doing there. The, the, the Hebrew and Aramaic word for father is Av, which is Abba, right? Abba, and then the Greek word father, Pater. And he's saying no matter where you come from, you get to cry out the same thing that a kid cries out, Dad. Dad. It is one of the biggest lessons that every Christ follower, if you have started your, your walk with Jesus, it's one of the most important things to know is that God's like, you can call me dad and I'm gonna show up and I will meet those needs, especially if and when your earthly father failed to do so. My, uh, my daughters, one of the things that is always kind of interesting to me, because they're teaching me so much about what it means to love, is one of the things that they, they do is sometimes when they fall or they get hurt, they look up at you. And before they even start crying, they like look into your eyes. And part of it is to like make sure, like if you look at them with horror, they know something bad happened. But they look into your eyes, and the next thing you know, you see that scrunched up face, right? You know it's starting to happen when they furrow their brow, their face gets scrunched up, and then they just start crying. But they can only say one word when I'm with them. They cry out, but they say, Dad, or Dada, if you're Haven. Dada. Then they start crying. But it's in that simple one word that I know in that moment, they just need me that they feel hurt and pain, and they need me to cross and drop whatever I'm doing to go and hold them close and bring them in and to let them know I'm here and I'm gonna protect you and I'm gonna provide for you and I'm gonna be present for you and I'm gonna encourage you and I'm gonna correct you. I'm here, I'm going to show up always. And it's in that simple crying out of one word, Dad. Paul is saying here, notice, you don't say, Abba, Father. He says, you cry out, 
Abba, Father, that that's what the Spirit is doing in you. So that way, when the God, your creator, the God of the universe who stands over the whole cosmos, when he looks at you and he sees in your heart, your heartache, your grief, your brokenness, your wounds, and you're crying out, Abba, Dad, help. He's like, I will cross time and space. I'll cross everything just to hold you close and to show up for you. Martin Luther has this great quote on this passage where he says, Abba is only a little word and yet contains everything. It is not the mouth, but the heart's affection which speaks like this. Even if I am oppressed with anguish and terror on every side and seem to be forsaken and utterly cast away from your presence, yet I am your child and you are my father. For Christ's sake, I am loved because of the beloved. So this little word, Abba, Father, deeply felt in the heart, surpasses all the eloquence of Demosthenes, Cicero, and the most eloquent speakers that have ever lived. This matter is not expressed with words, but with groanings, and these groanings cannot be uttered with any words of eloquence for no tongue can express them. But if you've been the parent of a child, especially a toddler, you know in that moment when they can't find the words to describe their grief and they just cry out, dad, you are mom, you show up. And you drop heaven and earth just to be with them and to comfort them. And this is where Paul's saying, God wants to do that for you, but maybe in the place of deepest wounding in your life. I could talk for hours about this, so we will. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I would bleed my veins dry just to show the people in this room how much God wants to show up for you. And how maybe the deepest wound you have, God wants to bring healing. But a picture is worth a thousand words. And I want to show you maybe one of the coolest pictures I've seen of what it looks like for God or someone to show up. Now, I, this is a clip from a show from 30 years ago. But one thing I will say is it's very heavy, very visceral. And I want you to feel it. Because if you've never been around someone with a father wound, you don't, you, 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 there's no words that can explain it. You just need to feel it. So will you feel it with me? Go ahead and take a look. Daddy out! What's up? Will, damn it, I'm glad you're here. Um, some business came up I gotta handle. So we're gonna have to put a, our trip on hold. You understand? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's, cool. that's cool. Just for a couple of weeks, mm -hmm. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little longer. Yeah, whatever, whatever. Look, I'll, I'll call you next week and we'll iron out the details, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah, yeah. It was great seeing you, son. You too, Lou. Yeah, um... I'm sorry, Will. <laughs> you know what, actually, this works out better for me. You know, the Slimmies of Summer come to class wearing next to nothing, you know what I'm well, saying? Well, it's all right to be angry. Hey, why should I be mad? I'm saying, at least he said goodbye this time. I just wish I hadn't 
Wasting my money buying this stupid present. I'm sorry. I, you know, if there was something that I hey, could Hey, you do. know what? You ain't got to do no, nothing, Uncle Phil. Hey, you know, ain't like I'm still five years old, you know? Ain't like I'm going to be sitting up every night asking my mom, when's daddy coming home, you know? Who needs him? Hey, he wasn't there to teach me how to shoot my first basket, but I learned, didn't I? Hey, I got pretty damn good attitude, didn't I, yeah, Uncle Phil? Did. Got through my first day without him, right? Mm. I learned how to drive. I learned how to shave. I learned how to fight without him. I had 14 great birthdays without him. He never even sent me a damn card. Die with him! I ain't need him then, and I don't need him now. Well, well. Nah, you know what, Uncle Phil? I'm gonna get through college without him. I'm gonna get a great job without him. I'm gonna marry me a beautiful honey, and I'm having me a whole bunch of kids. I'm gonna be a better father than he ever was. And I sure as hell don't need him for that, because ain't a damn thing he could ever teach me about how to love my kids. How come he don't want me, man? If you've never been there, oftentimes we don't know what it's like to be that kid waiting up at night wondering when's dad gonna come home? When's my dad gonna want me? When's my dad gonna show up? And that clip, I think, so powerfully illustrates that wound. But the hidden magic of that clip to me is not the dad that left, but the man who stayed. The man who was there that said, I'm gonna want you and I'm gonna embrace you and I'm gonna sit with you even in the deepest parts of that wound. And it's through that wound that you'll find healing. To put it a little bit differently, maybe Jesus is the original Uncle Phil. <laughs> But for those of you that sit in here and you ask that question, why didn't he want me, man? I want you to know that there's a father that since the beginning of time said, I'm gonna give up anything if it meant that I can be there for you in that moment to embrace you. And I'm gonna love you and I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna hold you and I'm gonna hold you close. And it's in that place when we finally understand God as our Father that we begin to find so much healing. And so for those of us that don't believe it yet, that's okay, because I'm gonna believe it for you. But God wants to show you that. God wants to show you that he's gonna show up for you. But the last thing I'll say in closing is, is that maybe God wants to show you that he could show that to someone else through you. Through you. That if God is the original Uncle Phil, maybe you and I can become a church full of Uncle Phil's. Showing people as when they show up and they say, I'm waiting. Why doesn't he want me, man? We can show up and we can stand in the gap and we can say, I am gonna hold you in that place. One last story in closing. 
Um, my dad took off and, and for years, I just laid up wondering why my dad doesn't want me and seeing other people who had their dads. And it just was, it was really profound to me, that wound. And, and when I was 15 years old, there was a pastor of a local church in the town I grew up in. And he said, I'm going to mentor you and, and we're going to meet every week for lunch. And, and at first what started out as just these regular meetings transformed into something so much more. It transformed when my home fell apart in my senior year of high school into him bringing me into his home. And I became a part of his family. And as he was dropping me off for college before my freshman year, we were driving down here to Portland. And, and I just had asked him, when does this like mentoring relationship end? And he's just sitting there driving with two hands on the road because he's a good pastor. And he said, if you want it to, it can end right now. And I was like, I don't want that. And so... He slowed his breath and he said, then Joe, I am committed to you for the rest of my life. And before my wife, he was the first human being that had ever said that to me. And he didn't know it, but he showed me a picture of my heavenly father the way Uncle Phil did for Will. And imagine if we had men and women who stepped up and did that for the folks in this community. We have camp coming up. We have summer escape for our teenagers. We have VBA. What a beautiful opportunity to show our kids they're worth showing up for. And so maybe God might be calling you. But even if he's not, my prayer for you today as we close is that you always realize that the God of the universe wants to meet you in that deepest wound to begin to heal it and to show you he'll show up time and time again to do just that. So will you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, and I don't want to lose the fact that we get to call you that and that is such a sacred gift that you are not ashamed to call me your son. That you will show up for me time and time again and you will enter the places of deepest wounding in my life. And I thank you that that is a truth, that is a, this entire community's truth. We all get to claim that. We all get to cry out, Abba, Father. I want to thank you, God, for the men in here and the women in here, Lord, who have stepped up into these roles to show us your love. But I also want to pray for the folks in here that didn't have that person. Would you show up? Or would you bring someone with you to show up? And I want to pray, God, for this community, that we'd be a people, Lord, we'd be a community of people who we show up for the people and the moments of their deepest wounding where dad left, where he didn't show up, where he dropped the ball, would he help us become a community of people who show up, who don't drop the ball, and ultimately show you. Thank you, God. May you be glorified through us and in us, and may we also be a community that's healed and is continuing to do so. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.
I want to say thanks so much for coming. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Uh, one last thing as you leave, we have donuts out in the lobby to celebrate the men here, and that they're for everybody. We love you. We'll see you next week. <laughs>